coming for Brother Jeffrey for asking me to be here this morning. Um, I count it a great honor to be here to be able to talk with you guys, to share with you kind of some stuff I've been studying. And um, I always get kind of nervous anytime I get up to teach, but um, thinking about, you know, you guys and the, the amount of knowledge that, that you guys have of the, of the Word of God, it, it, it intimidates me. And that sometimes, uh, when I think about that, it tries, I try to think of ways I can maybe be creative or cute, but I need to stay away from that. I just need to focus on God's word. And that's, that's what we need. That's all we need. Um, so that's my hope today. Um, I want to start, uh, by asking a question. I'm going to be asking a few questions, but so with everything going on in the world, let us just think about what mankind's greatest problem is. Let's think about that for a second. Um, I know especially now it seems like COVID or President-elect Biden, you know, there's so many things that we could say. But what if I would argue that our greatest problem is that God is good? Um, some, when they hear that, may say, why is that a problem? Well, that's a problem because man is not good. And there's, there's a conflict there. Um, R.C. Sproul put it this way. The human dilemma is this. God is holy and we are not. God is righteous and we are not. So what can we do to fix that problem? Can we as men or mankind do anything to fix that? My argument would be no. So the answer is reconciliation. Um, my goal is just to give a basic explanation of what it is, uh, why it's necessary, really just to scratch the surface and let Brother Benjamin and Brother Jeffrey kind of dig into it a little bit more. But um, I'm certain nothing I go over will be new. But I'm also certain as we dissect this doctrine, we will inevitably find the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, and that's something I know you guys are so focused on. That's why I know that it's not going to be anything new. Um, I will be reading just two verses out of Colossians 1, 20 and 21. Um, it may seem like I'm going to read this and then stay away from it the rest of my message. I, I will try not to do that, but that's just kind of a starting point for us. So I'm going to read again, just two verses. It's, it's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. In 21, and really 21 is going to be our focus. But uh, 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So, going back to our problem, what does it mean that God is good? Um, we have to look to the Bible to find what that means. Um, it means that it's, he's good because of what he created. Uh, in Genesis, it says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Um, in Psalm 33.5, it says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of his goodness. Excuse me. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Um, it also is seen in his actions towards mankind. Again, in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 170 says, O good thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Again, Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are all over his works. So we see it in how good he is to mankind. And then lastly, his goodness is described by Jesus. In Luke 18, he says, uh, it says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. So therefore, we can conclude from a few of those verses and all of what the Bible says, God is good because of who he is and what he's done. So going to the opposite side of that, so what does it mean that man is not good? Um, if God created man and everything God created was good, then isn't man good? Uh, he was good until he sinned. So the sin of disobedience, excuse me, the sin of disobedience committed by Adam 
resulted in all what, what we call is the fall of man. Um, in Romans 5, 12, it says, Wherefore, as one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then going down in that chapter, verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Um, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have come short of glory of God. So just to summarize that, we know that because of God being good, man was not good because of the sin committed by Adam. So does this mean that because Adam sinned, all of us were imputed the ability to sin? I would argue no. This means that because of Adam's sin, all are condemned. Again, in Romans, therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So why? That doesn't seem fair. Why do we all have to suffer because of Adam? Well, I'd like to point out that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature to do this. We sin because we're in Adam, who all of us came from. It's, at, it's natural. Our natural state is to be disobedient to God's laws. And because of that, we are condemned. Um, in Galatians 3.10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So this is taken from Deuteronomy 27. Uh, cursed is synonymous with condemned. So because of God's law, because we're disobedient to it, we are condemned. So let's kind of look at an example from Exodus. Uh, in Exodus 19, when God's children, the chosen of Israel, were first given the law and called to be God's peculiar treasure, their response was, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they said, you put forth this law, we will do it. But we know that didn't last very long because they created a golden calf, worshipped it, which was implicitly against what God said. So when Moses found out about it, he came down and confronted Aaron. And Aaron's response was, thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. So does this mean that Moses forgave Aaron or God forgave his people, even though that sinning was in their nature? We don't know because that day, 3,000 people died for judgment of that sin, and then many more throughout their wilderness journey because of their sin. But the same is true for us. Although we are born sinners, we are still held accountable and condemned for our actions and when we sin. We're not off the hook just because it's in our nature. So again, there, to summarize, man is not good because of sin. So moving on. Why is reconciliation necessary? Um, first, we have to acknowledge the problem before we can get to the solution. So most people hear that God is good and man is not. They don't see that necessarily as a problem because, of course, we serve a good God. We serve a forgiving God. We serve a loving God. There's no way that he would judge us for how we act because, again, we can't help it. Um, we're born that way, so to speak. But what they don't understand is not only is he good and loving and forgiving, he's just and holy and righteous. Um, before we get into judgment and condemnation, let's look at the consequence of sin in this life. So sin, we all know, separates us from God. When Adam sinned in the garden, what happened? He was driven out of the garden. Um, his sin caused separation between God and man, and that has existed from then until now. Uh, Isaiah summed it up perfectly when he says, but your iniquities have separated us, separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So he's talking about the Israelites, but we can apply that to us. Our sin has separated us from God. So some may say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. That doesn't apply to us now because we're in the time period of grace. But that's not so. Um, Paul tells the Ephesian believers not to act like other Gentiles um, who are in their natural state alienated from God. He says, having in Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding, 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of their blindness of their heart. So what does that mean? Separation or alienation from God may not affect some people. That may not even matter to some people. I would argue that doesn't matter to most people. They don't care that they're alienated from God or they're separated from God. But they're ignorant and they, everybody will be affected by the consequence of sin and death, which will be judgment. Um, we understand that sin leads to death. Paul tells us in uh, Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. But again, what most people fail to understand is that after that, there is judgment which will lead to punishment. Because in Hebrews it says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. So again, God is not only good, he's holy, righteous, and just. Um, this means God does not take sin lightly. In Psalm 5, 4, says, Thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Most people don't look at God that way. They don't look at him as being that way. Uh, and that's unfortunately to most people demise because they don't acknowledge that. Um, and he will punish those that break his commandments just like he did for Israel. He will do the same for us. So eventually God will show his wrath and his hatred of sin when he stands, excuse me, when he sends all transgressors of his law into the lake of fire, which burneth, excuse me, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, according to Revelation. So this will mark the eternal separation from God. So sin separates us now in this life, but ultimately later on, we will be judged on that and sent to hell because of it. So sin caused separation and will lead to punishment unless something happens. So what is that? There needs to be reconciliation. So what does it mean? And I'll kind of wrap it up with this. What's it mean? What's it, what's it mean to us and how, how does it apply to us? So I found this definition. I thought it was pretty good. The word reconciliation means to unite two parties who are estranged. It means that one has given offense and the other is displeased by it. The consequence of this being a breach between them. Instead of friendship, there is a state of hostility existing. Instead of a state of peace, there is enmity, which results in separation and alienation between them. So the reason we looked at first uh, the need for reconciliation um, before the definition was to recognize that we are the offenders and God is the one offended. Um, our sin, again, separates us from God, resulting in a breach, and it must be fixed before communion is restored. So an example of reconciliation, um, Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the word reconciled actually comes from a word that is used for exchange or change as in coins or money. This is how this, first, this word was kind of first used. Um, so for example, it would be a way to describe it as me taking $10 in coins into some place and they giving me $10 in cash. So it would kind of be an equal exchange. Um, I like how one commentator said it. He said, through the acceptance of the gospel message, the unsaved are reconciled to God in the sense that their attitude of unbelief and hatred is turned into or exchanged for one of trust and love. But with that being said, it's important to note that in order to be reconciled to God, we could provide nothing of value. Right. We have nothing that we can exchange for that. Right. So no amount of good works or righteous living or anything can be given to reconcile us for our sins. So uh, it required the death of Jesus, something of immeasurable value that could, none of us could afford. So again, circling back to our text in, in uh, Colossians, it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, 
whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So the reason for this peace, uh, it's only possible through the blood of the cross. It's because Christ took the punishment that we deserved for our sin upon himself. And then going to 2 Corinthians 5, it says, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So another thing important to note is the death of Christ has reconciled us to God, but similar to atonement, our belief and trust in what was done makes it effectual. Uh, Romans 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So similar to justification, reconciliation is a positional truth that requires faith in order to make it to apply to us personally. It's like a gift that must be acknowledged or accepted. So again, the death of Jesus made it possible, but faith in Christ and what he did for us makes it effectual. And then lastly, I would like to point out that there are some that believe that when we sin, we must again reconcile ourselves to God. Um, I believe, like justification, going back to that, or salvation, once we are reconciled, it is eternal. Uh, it's our justification, or excuse me, if our justification rests in what Christ did and not anything we did, so, our, so does our reconciliation. Um, Matthew Henry put it this way, obedience to the law of Moses cannot reconcile us to God. In other words, there's nothing we could do to, again, reconcile us. No good works, no good deeds, no righteous acts. But, thank God, he had a better plan. And I'll close in this. In 2 Corinthians, again, 5.21, it says, He hath been made, excuse me, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's all I have. It's too tall for me. You need a, need a brace for the short guys here. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I appreciate I need like a step stool. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'll make fun of myself. That's, that's fine. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I'll be also in Colossians uh, chapter 1 this morning. And I'll probably also reference a Second Corinthians and um, explaining uh, the proclamation of reconciliation. So we've seen what reconciliation does, and much like the gospel, we know what the gospel is, but somebody's, what did the apostles and the disciples do? They went and told the good news. They proclaimed it. They announced it. And when they did that, they not only told who Christ was, but what Christ had done and how it affects us. So with that thought in mind this morning, Colossians chapter 1, uh, begin reading with me, if you would, again, in verse number... Uh, uh, actually, if you would, back up with you to verse 19 and start there. For it pleased the Father that in Him should dwell, excuse me, in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." Now, much like Brother John, I am uh, in awe of what God has done for those of you who are here in your lives and the knowledge and the illumination that He's given you, probably much smarter than I, but um, I never claim to be very smart. I'm just really good at reading and studying from guys who are and putting it into a concise thought and then trying to put enough of what God has given me so that it's not plagiarism. So I'm, I'm, I'm good at that at least. Um, so uh, I just wanted to share uh, the message, the proclamation of what what reconciliation uh, is, the 
message that we are to hear of it. And I wanted to open up with verse 19, and I know it's kind of the verse leading into it, but in truth, Colossians entirely, especially the first chapter, opens up to us the message of reconciliation. If you read uh, prior, and I, I'm not going to take the time, but from chapter 1, and you begin in verse number 1 and come all the way down to verse 19, you see Paul emphasizing the supremacy, the greatness of God. He says things like, in the world by all he, things did he create everything. He, so he speaks to the supremacy, how good, as Brother John said, how good God is, how great He is, who He is. And he's talking about all of these things. And man, what a Savior. And man, we don't deserve Him. I, I don't know where you are in life, but for the first time, I'm 28 years old now, and I've got a pretty good life. And God has introduced me to some people and some books and some things that have just changed my perspective and my mindset over the last two years, much for the better. And as I continue on that journey and learn things, I learn perspective is everything. You hear this growing up, right? Attitude 100%, give everything perspective is everything. I, I've, I've heard it. But man, when you start applying those things, it's amazing how true it becomes. I look at things around, especially going on now, those who don't have jobs, and I'm sitting over here complaining about things my company is doing that I don't necessarily like, but hey, I got a job. And, and hey, I've, I've got a paycheck. And hey, I can still provide for my family. And so as I look around, I can, I can look through life in times when I was struggling, when I was, when it was hard, and I mean hard, and I thought I had it bad then, and I look, and I look at the people who are around me in those same positions, and how God had promoted me. Not because of who I was, but because I can truly see ways that He showed His favor around me. And I'm like, man, I wish I'd have realized that back then. I wasn't very grateful. I don't want to continue to make that same mistake. What are you saying? Um, I've never been to the place where I am in probably the last two weeks. I am, and I don't know how to put it, I'm not depressed, I'm not suicidal or anything like that. I'm just empty. I'm, I'm drained. i got nothing left. It's how I feel anyway, right? And uh, I've never been to that. Work is fine. Home is fine. I mean, yeah, it's COVID, but hey, God is still taking care of me. I know all of this. I've got the knowledge. I've got the logic, but yet I just, I, I have no motivation. I don't feel like doing anything. I want to sit in the bed. I don't want to get up at 4.30 and go to the gym when my alarm goes off. I know I feel better when I do. I know I benefit physically and mentally from it. I know I perform better throughout my day. I know I feel better, but I don't want to. I never want to get up at 4.30 in the morning. That's no matter how good I'm feeling. But nonetheless, my point in saying all of this is when Jeffrey contacted me and, and told me when I started as the days got closer and I started to study for it about a month ago and uh, all this was going on through my life and man, something started to change. I know what reconciliation is. I, I, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in all of this. Most of us probably understand these things too, but I preach to my church doctrine all the time. And I don't know how you grew up, but when I grew up, there's a stigma to that word. Oh, great. It's going to be a boring monologue and we're all going to fall asleep. Better make sure. Like, we know it's important, <laughs> but it's boring. Doctrine is not boring. When we understand the truth that we were alienated from God, that means we were literally, the book of Romans says, we were literally enemies of God. Enemies. I don't know about you, but I don't have very good thoughts of my enemies. I don't have very many, mostly just the people who cut me off in traffic and take 10 years to turn. But nonetheless, I don't really wish good things upon that person. I'm just glad they're out of my way and out of my life. I don't want to think about them. The last thing I want to do is anything nice for them or to them. I'm a technician. In my job, when I go behind somebody who used a stinking impact drill and stripped every bolt in the machine out, I want to kick somebody in the shin. I don't want to help them. That is not my, that is not the feelings that I feel towards them. But God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were alienated from Him, God placed exercised, intentionally aimed His love towards us. That is the message of reconciliation in that while we were sinners, while we were alienated, while we were enemies for God, of God, look at verse 21, uh, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies. Well, I'm, the sin, I'm of the seed of Adam. I'm of the flesh, as Brother John said. I can't help that. Look at the next words. <clears throat> Where was I at here? Your mind by wicked works. 
our wicked works. Yes, we were born under the sin of Adam and under the curse of Adam, but we followed Him in that sin. We violated. You can view this, this thing of reconciliation in the relationship of God. You can liken it unto two different things. You can see God as a judge because He's righteous, right? And He's holy and He's merciful, but His righteousness and His holiness and His mercy coexist all three together. And so while He is a holy God and a just God and a loving God, He is also a righteous God and a vengeful God. And so His holiness demands judgment, payment for violation of those things. And so we can view Him as the judge pronouncing our doom, pronouncing our our, our punishment, and and us setting there guilty as can be. We can also look at Him as a friend who we violated that relationship. We violated some sacred foundation. And both of these views are true and accurate. And neither of these views hold more importance than the other. But I'm here to tell you this morning that peace was proclaimed. Look at the beginning of verse number 21, and having made peace through the blood of His cross. <laughs> having made peace. What are we supposed to do as Christians? Number one, first and foremost, before anything else, what are we to do? Follow Christ. What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler who comes to Him? Go and sell all that half and follow Me. Riches was not the problem. The problem was His riches had Him. Put all that away. Follow after Me. What did He tell Peter, James, and John? Put down your fishing rods and follow Me. Number one, above all, what we're supposed to do after we accept Christ as our Savior is follow after Him. And what does God do? He makes peace with us. He reconciles all things to Him. What does He call us to be? Be ye peacemakers. Not Facebook keyboard keyboard warriors that talks about social justice and political uh, uh, implications and and not guys who get on the internet and and proclaim all these things and not people who go to rallies to stir up strife and look, I, I, I think you should know what's going on. I think you should participate. But that should not be what people think when they think of us. I don't want them thinking of me as, you know, a, a Republican or Democrat or conservative or, or a liberal or a progressive. I, I don't want that. I want them thinking of me as a man who shares Christ in his life. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be peacemakers. Why? Because Christ was a peacemaker. What did he do? Christ made the sacrifice. Christ made the sacrifice and having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things. Isaiah chapter 53 verse number 10 said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the hand of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We have the freedoms we have today because men and women of yesteryear were willing to stand up to dictators and powers of other governments and, and make uh, give literally lay down their lives for the freedoms that we experience in the secular world. Yet Christ laid down the ultimate sacrifice to pay our sins. Freedom isn't free. Reconciliation was not free either. Christ had to make the payment. And Isaiah tells us that it pleased God the Father to bruise God the Son. That's tragic. It's horrible. It's probably one of the saddest passages among one of the saddest passages that I have found in Scripture. But I want you to look at verse 19 again. For it please. Same word. Same word in the Greek, Hebrew, Arabic, whatever language you want to put it in. It pleased the Father that in Him all, in Him should all fullness dwell. That's all. All completeness if I could put it that way. I feel like I'm empty this morning. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm drained. Let me tell you something. You're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it in anything that it has to offer. You may have a fleeting moment of, of, of fun. You may have a fleeting uh, uh, something that feels like that to joy. But our joy as Christians, our completeness, our fullness, our tanks being filled up is found in fellowship with the brethren. It's found in fellowship with the Father. It's found in reconciliation to the Savior because in Him, is all fullness of joy. This is the message. This is the message of reconciliation. You do not have to be alienated or an enemy of God the Father anymore. He made the sacrifice. He paid the sin as Brother John laid down for us. We can now accept it and experience all the time. It would have been just enough just enough for Christ to lay down His life and free us from sin. That would have been wonderful. He cares much more about us than that. See, He didn't just free us, pay the payment, and then leave us and say, you're on now, goodbye. No. He still wants a relationship with us. 
He loves us enough. Why? Because the truth of the, of the image of Him being our we alienated, we violated that friendship is ever true. And once that alienation is removed, and it has been this morning, around 2,000 years ago on a cross in Calvary, that alienation was done. And when that was done, you and I, that friendship is repaired. It's done. All we have to do is accept that work. I've got to hurry this morning. Uh, <clears throat> peace proclaimed. Christ made the sacrifice. Christ came to us. Look at verse number uh, uh, 21 here, uh, or uh, 22. In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Christ presented Himself to us. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the world, excuse me, the word of reconciliation. Now when we were ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Again, at the beginning of verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Uh, verse 22, in the body of His flesh through death to present you. He came to earth. He that knew no sin was made sin for us. The payment was paid. Not only was it paid, He came to us. There is nothing, and I mean there is nothing that we could do to, to fix what was done? We could not have redeemed the sin of Adam, whereby one man's sin entered into the world, and whereby one man's sin has been expulsed from the world through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you and I could have done. And that's great, and we all know that, and we all know what I'm about to say too. But you know what's even better than that? Not only could I do nothing to have fixed it or gotten it, <laughs> I can't do anything to keep it. I can't. You say, well, that's kind of disheartening. Yeah, you know what else that means? That means I can't do anything to lose it. That means I cannot do anything to damage that relationship or repair that relationship. There is nothing that I can do to break that relationship down. Why? Because God is a benevolent and a loving God. He is an altruistic being. And when He says, I have fixed this relationship, I have repaired it, and I've done so by the sacrifice of my Son, Jesus Christ, I have reconciled man to me. We can't break that bond again. Now, if you're sitting in your seat now and you're thinking, well, that sounds to me like a license to sin. That sounds to me like I can go and do whatever I want to. And then whenever I come to the house of God, I can put on the cloak of righteousness and because I'm under the blood. Then if that's your mindset, you're more of a legalist than you even think you are. If that's your mindset, you have misunderstood the gospel of Christ. I'm going to reference this in a minute, but the writer John said in one passage, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Why, John? Why, why were they not of you? Because they did not continue with us. Now, lest you think I'm preaching heresy, John also takes around, and I believe it's in the book of 2nd or 3rd John, he says, that ye may know that ye are His. So we can know that we are His, but we can also see the results of us. And I'm telling you, a true Christian, a true Christian does not want to get saved just as a Here's my get out of hell free card, God, and go and do what they want to. We get saved because we want what's in the end of verse 22. We want to be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. This is the same idea in the Old Testament when the priest would select a sacrifice and they would find one that was perfect. In other words, it matched all of God's requirements laid out in the book of Leviticus. And they would say, this is the lamb for the sacrifice for your family. And this is the dove for the sacrifice of your family. And when that sacrifice was found and presented it, the family would rejoice because their sins would be atoned for that year. Can I tell you something? We don't have to do that anymore because the ultimate sacrifice was laid down. And because of that, you and I are unblameable, unreprovable, presentable in His sight. Christ came to us. Christ calls us to be ambassadors to Him. The number two this morning, we see number one, peace was proclaimed. Number two, we were promoted in status. We have been promoted in status. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. In the book of John, I quote this to my church all the time. They probably get tired of hearing me quote this verse. But to them who believed on Him, gave he, or gave, uh, he gave them the power 
to become the sons of God. We were changed. Our status was changed. Listen, when you get saved, not, when we are reconciled to God, when we are reconciled to God, it's not just a change of Hey, I'm saved now. Great. Woohoo. Yippee. It's not just that. No longer are corrupt communications going to come out of our mouth. I'm not saying you won't make a mistake. I'm not saying you won't have battles. I'm not saying you won't have addictions or strongholds that you battle. That's not at all what I'm saying. And if you think that's what I'm saying, you misunderstand the Bible and you misunderstand me this morning. But what I'm telling you is your desires, your desires change. What does Paul say? The things that I wish I would do, I do not. And the things that I wish I would not do, I do those things. But his desire was to please the Lord. His desire was to not uh, do things that he should not do. That was his desire. So you may still have strongholds. And you may have battles. We're still clothed in this flesh. We're still in the body that is cursed after the sin of Adam. But our hearts and our desires have been reconciled to God. And our desires change in reconciliation. Look at back with me if you would in 2 Corinthians uh, back up therefore verse 17 uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away behold all things are become new. What does God say back in verse, ni- uh, verse 19? For it pleased the Father that in Him should dwell all fullness of man. To reconcile, back in verse, uh, into verse 20, to reconcile all things to Himself, whether in heaven and earth. He reconciled everything. And so let me paint this picture very quickly. God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth and the stars, and we know all of this. And, and when sin, whereby sin entered into the world, everything was cursed. When Christ paid that sacrifice, He reconciled everything back to Himself. Everything was cursed. Everything was now under Satan and His his angels. Everything was. But Christ, when He paid the payment, reconciled Himself and everything back. It is His this morning. It is His this morning. It's a change of our behavior, of our mind. The Apostle Paul talks constantly about guarding our mind, guarding our mind. You would not believe how much Paul talks about guarding our mind. The, uh, David, the psalmist, meditate in thy, uh, uh, meditate day and night in thy word. I have hidden thy law in my heart. Meditate. I tell people, I don't care how much Bible Scripture you read. I don't care how many books you read about Scripture. I care about how much time you think about that Scripture. And how much time, I, I got this from a... I do this whenever I'm preparing for messages or or I try to. I I drive a lot for my job and so I'm in my, consequently, I'm in my seat a lot. So I will write out my key points and my passage on little sticky notes and I'll set them up on my dashboard where I can see them when I'm going down the road. And when I'm going down the road, daily, every day, I've got those things in front of me and I'm thinking about them. And you know what happens when I do that? When I get a phone call or, or, you know, when when a customer calls me, when things go wrong, I'm looking at those scriptures. It's hard to sit there and be really upset at a customer when you're looking at for God so loved the world that God gave us. And I'm like, i got to be a Christian today. These things become applicable to your life. I'm not smart enough to think of something. I, I stole that from another pastor. But it, it's helped me a lot. As a Christian, not just as a pastor. As a Christian, it's helped me to act more Christ-like. He said, it is a change of position. To them who believe, gave you power to become the, yeah, become the sons of God. And then it is a change our status. I am presented to the Father through Christ. Again, at the end of verse number 2, unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. When Christ sees me, this is what reconciliation does. This is the message. When Christ sees me, He sees that relationship fixed. When the judge sees me, He sees the payments paid to tell us that it is finished, completed. It cannot be overturned. I am He is. I have been reconciled. You, this morning, have been reconciled to Him, I hope. Technology. And then in verse 23, If ye continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Whereof I, Paul... I want you to take that last sentence there. Whereof I, insert your name here, am made a minister. You don't believe me? You think that just applies to Paul? Back up with me to verse to 2 Corinthians. What does it say here in verse number 20? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 20. Now when we are ambassadors for Christ, 
As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Insert your name there. We are ambassadors of God. We are ambassadors of Christ. It is for us to take this thing of reconciliation because of the atonement all the way to sanctification and we are to share that unto the world. This is the message of reconciliation. I, in my very early years, I was a salesman. I hated every minute of it. Um, but one thing that they taught me when I was a salesman was to know your product. Why do I want to know my product? Because how can I sell something if I can't explain to you why I think you should or why this is the best investment for your money or why I think this is going to benefit you, the, 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 uh, the user, the most? I need to know everything that thing does, why it does it, how it does it. I need, I need to tell you, man, it's user-friendly and here's why and here's everything that it can do for you. Here's how it can give you less downtime. And uh, Amazing how much I've learned. I, you'd have thought I'd have been good at it. I wasn't very good at it. It's one reason I didn't like it. I was to know everything. This is... The purpose of the message. The message of that product. This is what it says. This is what it holds for you. The message of Christ is that He has died for us. He has paid the payment so that you and I can be reconciled. Restored unto Him. We're His this morning. If you're saved this morning, you are His. We are His. Let me tell you something. I feel like I'm on empty. And in feeling like I'm on empty, one of the things that I'm thankful for, and as I've been studying this is... The doctrine, the truth that I am Christ. I have a relationship with Him. So when I don't feel like I'm worth anything, and I ain't worth much, but when I don't feel like I'm doing anything right, when I feel like I'm just overwhelmed, I feel like I ain't got enough time in the day, Christmas, and you probably know this, Christmas is when suicides go the highest in our country. Can you imagine what those numbers are going to look like this year? Can you imagine the alcoholism and the drug overdoses this year with everything else going on in our world? Can you imagine that? There was a Gallup poll study survey that went out over the last three months. They found people who regularly attend church to be 40% happier. Listen, why is that? Because those people have a relationship with God and with each other. They have a fellowship with the brethren. They have a fellowship with the Savior. And they understand our happiness is not in who the President of the United States is. Our happiness is not in a one world government and whether it's coming together or whether it's not. Our happiness is not in a law. Our happiness is not in a a, a governor. Our happiness is not in a party line. Our happiness is found in the fullness of Christ. And we can experience that this morning because it has been applied to us. You see, when Christ reconciled us, That means not only did He pay the payment of sin, He exercised, just like He commended, placed His love toward us in the while we were sinners. He places everything He has for us to us. He exercises that thing to us while we are who we are. You ever been doing a job and uh, you're sitting there beating your head up against the wall because you don't have the right tool and you know you don't have the right tool and the right tool was in your truck, but you know that's a 15-minute walk? You can tell I'm, I'm thinking of a very specific instance, right? And so you just sit there and beat your head against the wall for 45 minutes when you could just make the 15-minute walk there and back and get the job done in like five minutes. Yeah, I've been there, done that. So many Christians, we beat our heads against the wall because we don't grasp or understand what reconciliation does, yes. what it does for us. We're found in Christ. Our relationship is restored unto Him. So that the, I'm, in the, I'm in the book of um, Galatians with my church. And you know what? Uh, I, I'm into the part where Paul is talking uh, to the believers of Galatia. And he says, because of all these things, we can call Him Abba. That is a Roman term. That is a term of endearment. I don't know how you are, but with my dad, I call him dad. That is an intimate term. When I'm mad, it's not dad. It's something else. It's his name. I would have never done that when I was a child. He would have beat the brakes off of me. But now that I'm an adult, I can get away with that occasionally. Uh, Or I call him father. I call him something. But when things are good and we're happy, it's dad. Why? It's a picture, a title of the closeness, intimate, dearness, appreciation, respect. And yet so many times we treat God like He's our 911 
like he's, he's there, we know it, but we don't really get anything out of it. No, friends, we are reconciled. The relationship is restored, repaired. We have the power to become the sons of God. Why does it say that power to become the sons of God? Now, if you want to get really doctrinal and really technical, we can talk about adoption and how we are adopted, but how the adoption is not complete until we, we... We can talk about all that, but the truth of the matter is our status has changed. We are reconciled to Christ. That relationship has been restored. And in so doing, the power is there. You can go and get the right tool. Or you can let it sit on the truck and keep beating your head against the wall. You can live like the world if you want to in Christ. Or you can call upon the Father. You can have fellowship with the brethren. You can have fellowship, more importantly and most importantly, with our Heavenly Father. Because we have been reconciled to Christ. And that is the message of reconciliation. That's what it does for us. That's what it produces to us. Thank you for the honor and the opportunity, Jeffrey. Hartman kicked off for us on, on what the reasoning for that is. I want to make sure that we've got a grasp of reconciliation so that we can understand what it means for this ministry to happen. The work is done. That's what we've got to get a grasp of. It's God's not waiting on us to do something because Christ has done everything already. Reconciliation for us, which Brother John and Brother Ben both have, have alluded to, it is contingent on our seeing reconciliation. When the Bible talks about us accepting Christ or trusting Christ or uses the term of faith being the conduit to which we grab hold of Christ, it's the way that we get the vision of that reconciliation. Brother Workman read the passage. It said that God has reconciled all things. And I challenge you to take that word, all things, and follow the, the course of, of the thought process, if you want to say it that way. Follow the thought process out to understand how this is going to apply in nature and everywhere else. But specifically, what we need to understand with reconciliation is that it's, it's done. So what, what we are to do is to see that the reconciliation is done. That's, that's, that's the call for us. What Brother Ben and what Brother John have, have tried to bring forward to us is that we're looking to see that it is done. If, if you want to say to someone, when did you trust Christ? That, that is one thing. But if we really want to understand reconciliation correctly, and you want to say, when, when were we saved? It would be 2,000 years ago. We understand that we have been reconciled in Christ at a point in time. But the work has been done, and that's what we need to get a grasp of if we're going to take this ministry of reconciliation out into the world. So I'm going to look in uh, first or Second Corinthians chapter number five, and I'm going to start in verse number eleven and really quickly run through what this ministry is, what it looks like, and how it's going to apply to us. So verse number eleven of chapter number five in Second Corinthians says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is to your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And make sure you remember that phrase, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, through we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet henceforth we, yet henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things 
are of God, which hath who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that last word, in him, that's what Paul uses. That's how Paul describes Christians more than any other way in any of his epistles. In him or in Christ is how God describes us. And that's how we need to be able to look at ourselves. If we're going to look at ourselves as something or have any kind of identity for ourselves, we need to look at ourselves the way that God sees us in Christ, reconciled to himself. But what Paul brings to us in this text is, first of all, the motive for ministry, the motive for the ministry of reconciliation, the mode of reconciliation, or the mode of the ministry of reconciliation, and the meaning of of the ministry of reconciliation. And we can see this played out verses 1 or verses 11 through verse number 17 as the motive for ministry. Paul in verses 11 through verse number 13 explains why he wants people to know about this reconciliation. He first of all he says knowing therefore the terror of the Lord Paul said, we understand what Brother John was talking about. We understand that judgment is coming. We understand that we are all condemned. John 3.17 says that all of us are condemned, that Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but they were already condemned. And Paul says, understanding this condemnation that the world is under is the first reason or the first motive for this ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 12, he says that it's not a pride in religion that brings us this motive. He said, we're not commending ourselves or we're not looking for an occasion to glory. It's not because we're smarter than everybody else or we have some monopoly on God. That's not our motive for reconciliation. That's not our motive for this ministry. And then verse number 13, he said, it's not because we're crazy. He said, for whether we be beside ourselves, if you people look at us and say, that person is crazy, it's because he understands something that nobody else is understanding. He said, he said our motive is not because we want to look crazy. It's not because we want to look smarter. But in verse number 14, he explains what the motive for this ministry is. He says, for the love of Christ constrains or controls us because we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. He said, so it's not that we have pride. It's not that we're crazy, but it's number one, that we understand the judgment. And number two, that we understand the love of God. He said, we understand judgment. We understand the love of God. And then into verse 15, he says that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him. So what Paul's saying here, what Paul's trying to get us to understand, he said, he said that when, when we want to look at why we want to take this reconciliation to the world, why we want to have this ministry of reconciliation, not pride, not because we're crazy, he said we're controlled by love, we understand the judgment, and we're convinced of this truth. Those are the three things that Paul is, is giving us for that, for that motive. The reason why we're taking these things to the world is because we understand the world is condemned. We understand that Christ loved us and that love controls our desire for the world to see these things and we're convinced that it's true. Specifically in verse number 15, he said that he died for all, that they all should live. Again, it's, we're, not, we're, not con we're not concluding this as something that's just for us, but it's something that we're to take to other people. We're not living, he said, we're not living for ourselves, but we're living unto Christ. We're living for other people. We're not, we're not heaping, as Brother Workman said, we're not heaping doctrine onto ourselves just so we can become smarter and more intellectual, but we're understanding these things and we're being convinced of these things so that we can take them, not to live for ourselves, not to just keep it all for ourselves, but to give it to other people. Right. So this is the motive 
for our reconciliation. So he says that we are understanding judgment, that we're controlled by love, that we're convinced of the truth. But again, verse number 16, he says, we've come to a conclusion of the purpose of reconciliation. Wherefore, henceforth, so he says, because of all this, because we see the judgment, we see the love, we see the truth, because of all this, wherefore, henceforth, so from now on, know we no man after the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step back, and I want you to quit looking at people after the flesh. Right. I want you to start looking at people like God looks at you. He said, henceforth, we're not going to do this anymore. From now on, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. So he uses that word henceforth a couple of times. But what he's saying, he said, we even looked at Christ in the way that the world looks at Christ. At one point in time, he's, he's, he's taking this and he's kind of reverse engineering it in a way. He's saying, we used to look at Christ the way the world looks at Christ. But now that we look at Christ the way that we look at Christ, we need to take that view of Christ and quit looking at people the way we looked at Christ. That's what Paul does. He reverse engineers basically everything that he does. And he's saying, from now on, I want you to look at people the way that God looks at you. Quit seeing them through a, a quote unquote, a TV lens. And that's going to solve a lot of the issues that we see in 2020, especially when we quit looking at people as groups and start looking at people as individuals. Because what we have a habit of doing is we look at, well, these people are this nationality or these people are police officers or these people are Democrats or these people are Republicans. We start looking at people in groups instead of looking at people as individuals. And if we continue to do that, then we're going to continue to keep the reconciliation for ourselves. It's, it's something that we need to grasp the view of. And he explains this in verse number 17. And this, this kind of concludes his motive for ministry. Verse number 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And, and we all know that verse. We've all been, been taught this verse. We probably have memorized this verse. But in the context of what Paul is saying, he's not saying, he's not using it as a proof text to bash somebody over the head. He's saying, you've got to look at people to understand that they can be made new. Amen. You've, got to, you've got to look at people not for who they are, but who they can be in Christ. Because everything old, all those things that you're seeing now are going to pass away and they're going to become new. They're going to be that new person. They're going to be that person that God sees you as. And that's the motive for our ministry. Is that we understand that we were condemned just like everybody else around us. Yeah. We understand that Christ has poured out his love. And that love is controlling us to take it to other people. We're absolutely convinced of it. And we understand that people can be made new by this. It's really Paul's trying to fix our view of God, our view of ourselves, and our view of others. In this, these few handful of verses, he's trying to get us to understand that it's not about us. It's about the way that God sees us and what he's done. So not only do we have the motive for ministry, but he gets into the mode of ministry. So we understand the reason why we need to take this reconciliation out to other people. But secondly, how do we do it? How is this going to happen? First of all, we need to understand a couple of things. In verse number 18, he said, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not our job to reconcile people, because God has already done that. The work, again, the work has been done. The reconciliation has been finished. But the mode is for us to point people to the reconciliation. Yes. To show them the reconciliation. 
God has done the work. He said that he has reconciled to himself and he's given to us the ministry of that reconciliation. And this points us back to verse 15. He said in verse number 15, or not verse number 15, I'm sorry, verse number 11, where he said that we persuade men. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He's, he's saying this is, this is the ministry. It's that persuading ministry to show them that same truth. Verse number 18, reconciled to himself. He gives us the ministry. And it's a ministry. It's not a moment. It's not a, not a little, it's not something we're getting caught up in. It's not something that we're, we're just doing sometimes. It's a ministry of reconciliation. And that points us over to the meaning of reconciliation. Verse number 19. He says, To wit that God was in himself reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the word of reconciliation. Now then, because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, we've been given the word of reconciliation, we are to be ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So the meaning of what we're doing, the meaning of this ministry is that we understand what reconciliation is. And that's, that, was the whole, that was the whole purpose in trying to put the emphasis on what Brother John and Brother Workman were going to be bringing to us. Because we need to understand the meaning of reconciliation if we're going to understand the ministry of reconciliation. If I can ever get a grasp of what reconciliation is in my life, then that is going to begin to flow out into every other aspect of my life. If I can ever get a hold of the gospel, that is going to permeate me and it's going to flow out into those practical aspects. If I can see that I've been reconciled to God, as Brother Workman said, I'm going to start reconciling other people to myself and to each other. He said that we've been given that ministry to be peacemakers. That's what we're doing. We're bringing people not only into peace with God and into peace with each other. That's the reason that a group of us who probably would have nothing really in common with each other can come together around God's word because we've been reconciled to each other by being reconciled to God. That's part of the ministry that we've been given. And this is going to flow in not just into maybe our work lives, but it's going to also flow into our home life. I'm going to start treating my kids in ways... Because God has treated me in a certain way. I'm going to start reconciling my, my family to each other because God has reconciled his family to himself. And that's what this, this, this whole meaning, verse number 21, is probably one of the key verses in the New Testament for us to understand what has happened when he said that he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. God is seeing us currently right now as righteous. And if God sees us as righteous, even though we know we're not, then why would we take that view and turn it around opposite towards somebody else? Why would we look at other people as being less righteous than we are when God looks at us as being righteous because of Christ? That's the ministry. The ministry is to, practically speaking, for us to see other people the way that God sees us. But in seeing that, bring them to a place and understanding that God can see them the way that he sees us. And hopefully I'm making sense. I feel like I'm being a little bit scattered. But the, the point being is that we're pointing people to what Christ has already done. Yes, we're, not, we're not trying to point people to... To come to do things our way, to come to, to, to attend our church, to wear the things that we wear. We're getting people to look at Christ and see that he's already done the yes. work. Amen. Everything's yes. completely taken care of. And that takes out a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of struggle. It takes out a lot of debate. We can, we can quit looking at things as, as, as standard or no standard or as... Elect or non-elect, it's, it's all be ye reconciled. 
That's what Paul did. Paul said that I understood that I was reconciled to God. He said that he said that he in Christ said is now saying, be reconciled to God. He said, I understood that I was reconciled to God. And now I'm saying, look, you can be reconciled to God. This is available for you. The work's done. And if we can get a hold of what Brother John has said, and we can get a hold of what Brother Benjamin has said, this stuff will start to permeate. And that's Paul's point here. Paul's whole point is getting a hold of all these things, understanding all these concepts, getting a hold of this doctrine and letting this doctrine permeate out of our life. Let what Christ has done literally ripple into every other aspect of our life. And we didn't pick up the rock and throw it in the middle of the pond. Christ has done that. We just need to see the effects of it. We need to see the effects of what has happened in our life. And if we can see the effects of that, we can start pointing other people to the effects of that. And you can start to see effects of that in our families, in our communities. And that's why we've been given this ministry. Paul talks about being an ambassador in verse number 20. An ambassador, by, by his job description, isn't at home anywhere. He goes somewhere else. He's not, he's not living where he's from. He's not trying to put down roots anywhere. He's being an, an example of his home. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Called to be an example of what Christ has done. And not get caught up, not get, not get caught up in seeing everybody else in a specific light, but see them as individuals that they can be reconciled to. Yes. See them as, as people, not as thoughts, not as ideas, <laughs> not, not even as, as, as some of the, the denominational differences that we have. But see them as individuals who can be reconciled to God. See them as individuals for some of them who have been reconciled to God and let that begin to play out in our life. Let that begin to shine out from us. What Brother Workman said is, is probably one of the things that has helped me in that way too. Just keeping those things in front of us. I would, I would challenge you to do that. I would also challenge you to take Scripture, print off five or six verses and, and meditate on those things. Look at the words. See how the words go together. See what God's really saying about these things. See, if we can do that, if we can allow these things to permeate us, to get in us, they will come out. And that's, that's what I have for this morning. So we'll, uh, we'll sing our last song and we'll, uh, we'll be finished.